Darnold is 13 to 22. Good block by the right tackle. Intercepted on the play. TJ Carey. He's got blockers and he's got a touchdown. The second pick six thrown by Jets quarterback Sam Darnold. Hey, we're rolling. We're rolling. We fly all day. Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the full 10 yards podcast. Yes, welcome in, boys and girls, ladies and gents. Week three of NFL action in the rearview mirror. Apart from a certain ding dong that's about to go down in the early hours of the morning, we'll get to that later on, as it's potentially the game of the regular season, certainly. But uh, plenty for us to talk about in terms of what was yet another crazy Sunday of action. Uh, I'm here with the usual three-man huddle. So, Lawrence, good evening, my friend. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Unlike last week when I was talking about the the gloom of the the Lions, they've they finally won a game as have the Panthers. So it's you know it's party time for a couple of teams, I'm sure. Unlike my own, but we, we're not going to talk about that at all, are we, Sean? Not one no. tiny little bit. No, mate. No. To be fair, let, let's be honest, there's probably only me and you that really cared about that game this weekend, so we won't spend too long on it, mate, to be honest, but uh, we might well get to it a bit later on. And Tim, welcome you, mate. Another tough one for the Cowboys, another high-scoring affair, though. Must have been uh, a good watch. Well, it certainly was for a neutral. Yeah, it was. Even for a Dallas fan, let's say we talked before before we started press the record button. I'm still pretty optimistic with the Cowboys this season. I'm seeing a lot of good things. It's sometimes we just keep... Uh, managing to find that self-destruct button there on on certain drives. So uh, yeah, but no, still in high spirits. Um, we've played three. Well, <laughs> I don't know what we can classify Atlanta as at the moment, but we've played some some decent teams uh, thus far. So um, yeah, not not totally dispirited as uh, as and all the Cowboys fans should should feel the same way. Just wait till you lose to the Browns next week, then the despair can <laughs> well truly kick yeah. in, my friend. Right, boys, there's plenty of teams that are in despair though. Let's start and talk about some teams that are in a real real bad way. And I've just opened up the podcast with Sam Darnold throwing another pick six during the defeat to the Indianapolis Colts yesterday. We talk about him all the time on this podcast, Lawrence. Adam Gase has been stealing a living, let's be honest, as a head coach for a while now. Talk us through that game yesterday. Another absolute shellacking that the Jets have taken. And surely, surely, Adam Gase is on borrowed time here. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about a little bit about Adam Gase first in terms of his record. He's 67 games he's been head coaching, 30 wins. They they had a, a nice little warm to hot streak towards the end of the 2019 season, but it's all come crashing around their ears for 2020. Norton 3. And if you just look at some of the rankings of, of Adam Gase, last three seasons... In terms of yards for the team that he's head coached, 31st for the Dolphins in 2018, 32nd last in 2019, and again after three games last. So, yeah, I have no idea what he's still doing in a job, frankly. Um, You know, this is a Jets team that have had one winning record since 2010. That was back in in 2015 when they went 10 and 6 in Todd Bowles' first season. They started off before even the week one kickoff with a big, big blow when CJ Mosley, the, the stud linebacker, opted out of the season for COVID. 
um, in order to look after his family. Now, I'm not going to question that or make any kind of joke out of it. That's, that's CJ Moses' call, and I totally respect that. But it's a huge, huge blow for that Jets defence. Sam Darnold has been, you know, in 29 starts. He's only won 11 games. He's never made it through a full season. He's passed for a measly 562 yards in three games so far. And his supporting cast around him is highlighted by the human cockroach. I mean, there is not a lot to talk about on the Jets' offense. Um, Le'Veon Bell's out with injury. Jamison Crowder was out with injury. Breshard Perriman out with injury. And, you know, if we talk about the game itself in week three, there's only really one highlight to talk about for the entire game. And that was when the Jets tied the ball game up at seven apiece, when Sam Darnold arguably had one of the single plays of the entire week. And it was, it was really against what Sam Darnold has been for, for three seasons. It was an incredible scramble. He kind of sort of wielded round and round and round and eventually found um, Braxton Berrius in the end zone. And that, it was, it was, it was arguably the best touchdown of week three. And that includes loads of kind of big bombs and big, you know, big highlight ESPN kind of top 10 plays. That, that could have been the number one. Braxton Berrius, that was about the only single kind of highlight player for the Jets. Tiny little slot machine from the U. He was drafted originally by the Patriots in the sixth round a couple of seasons ago. Got cut just before the start of last season, picked up by the Jets. He was, you know, he was second in pump return average last season. So there's, there, there was some talent amongst him. Um, he's now caught 10 passes so far this season and two touchdowns. And he caught all four of his balls thrown to him in week three. I think beyond that, there was nothing to really talk about in terms of the Jets. The Colts went and pulled off 29 consecutive points after that tying score. And... Sam Darnold was actually, you know, he, he did have a good scoring game for the opposition. 16 points he gave to the Colts. Two pick sixes and a safety, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I think, you know, this, there, there must be something bad in the water over in the, in the Big Apple. We've got the, the Jets and the Giants, Norton six between them and looking horrendous. Um, I think the only small, tiny ray of light for the Jets is they've got a potential winnable game against the, the Jeff Driscoll Broncos next week. Um, but for the, for the sake of the entire um, NFL kind of fandom, that's Thursday night football. And I just think that, that's a shocker. So I'm really not looking forward to Thursday night football next week. Yeah, there were reports out before the game as well that Adam Gase potentially under the microscope and, and they were actually looking at this Thursday night upcoming game as a bit of a pivotal one. Um, Tim, as Lawrence has just alluded to there, it's not really one for the neutral Thursday night, <laughs> is it? But do, do you think Adam Gase survives past Thursday if, if they don't improve and put out a good performance on Thursday night? I, I I do I think I think it'll last uh, to the end of the season. But um, just uh, I just want to make uh, Lawrence mentioned there about his supporting cast, and then obviously about Thursday night football. I think that his supporting cast can barely be described uh, as straight to v- VHS that Thursday night game. Straight to VHS. <laughs> Betamax. Straight yeah, to yeah. Betamax, more likely. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a shame, really, because the Broncos obviously have been ravaged by injuries, probably, you know, along with the 49ers, obviously some real key players missing there. I think people expected more out of the Denver squad this year. It's kind of become derailed before it's even got going, but certainly the Jets heading in reverse. Let's talk about another guy that has to be under the microscope. And I am going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons and, of course, Dan Quinn. They are becoming notorious now, aren't they, for just blowing massive, massive leads. Um, yet again, a week after the Cowboys came back from the dead, we now get the Chicago Bears doing the exact same thing. Um, obviously, Nick Foles in at quarterback. That probably happened, if I'm being honest, about two and a half games later than I thought it was going to. It was almost inevitable that it would happen at some point. It ended up being halfway through the game on Sunday, um, and Nick Foles now officially named the starter for the Bears moving forward. Uh, but let's focus, Tim, on the Falcons and Dan Quinn. Um, obviously, got him to a Super Bowl early in his tenure there. It's been you know, pretty heavy going ever since then, though, hasn't it? And certainly yeah. the last two weeks will be two weeks that Falcons fans will want to forget in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dan Quinn's not going to be um, looking for any dog walking job, jobs anytime soon because he can't hold him to a lead. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite something, isn't it? I mean, even Dan Quinn's press conference um, was so vanilla. I've seen more I've seen more vanilla in that press conference than the the ice cream aisle in, in Sainsbury's. Um, I mean, they had a similar start last year, didn't they? The, the Falcons, and you know, people will continually say they've not actually ever gotten over the Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl loss. Um, to, to the Patriots but you know Dan Quinn was under pressure last year the team came out in the second half of the season and, and kind of well dare I say fought for him towards the back end of 2019 similar to the Jets had a decent decent end to the season uh, but you know he's not considering the caliber of quarterback Matt Ryan is Dan Quinn's got a 43 and 40 record with him uh, since he took over in 2015 um, and so of course that one that one Super Bowl appearance but I, I just can't work out. You just kind of need to wipe the slate clean and, and kind of start again. Um, you know, they're a team that probably have um, one of their one of their bad selling points is they don't, they've never really had a, a run game or established a run game because you always see Matt Ryan and his passing numbers and the, and the, the passing offense always high up in the rankings. Um, and it's again, it's, it's coming to fruition again this season. Uh, but yeah, talk, obviously talking about the game, no Julio Jones. Um, Calvin Ridley obviously had another another great game. He's turned into a, a really really good, uh, really good, really good wide receiver. Uh, Todd Gurley obviously found the end zone as well. And I think I must be the only one that was that was surprised that Mitch Trubisky's been benched because how how can you bench a quarterback that's two and zero? I mean, it doesn't. I don't care who who you. Who who's a quarterback? You've got Sam Darnold, who's not, you know, and you, some of the quarterbacks that people are, teams are rolling out, and you, you've got Mitch Trubisky. Now I'm not Mitch Trubisky's biggest fan, but if you've got a team that's two and zero, um, you know, this is a team that's. Uh, I think they they appear in one of my stats later. Yeah, they do. So I won't ruin it. But you know, he, he's played okay. Like I know, with it, you know if he doesn't get benched and Nick Foles doesn't come on, they probably end up going two and one anyway. But. Uh, I, don't, I just don't get it. Um, again, if the, if the Falcons were able to, to keep a lead, it, Nick Foles' efforts would have would, wouldn't have mattered anyway. But with, you know, regardless, Nick, Nick Foles comes on and he th- that that interception in the end zone, uh, which was a touchdown slash interception, that was a quite a strange play. That was a highlight. If anyone wants to go and watch a strange play, I was surprised they ever turned to that. Um, yeah, 
the, the turning point in this game was uh, the the kicker coup for the Falcons missing a, a field goal to go 19 points up when it was what 26 to 10, uh, and then you know, from that point everyone's like, oh here we go again. Oh no, I saw my Twitter timeline fill up with oh no Falcons, it's going to happen again, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And lo and behold, it did. Um, Another cool highlight from this one was uh, Alan Robinson's touchdown. A bit of a Houdini kind of escape from two tackles to then running Scott Free into the end zone. Uh, and then Anthony Miller um, adding the salt into the wounds. Uh, nice nice touchdown celebration for that one as well. Um, yeah, I, just you can't you can't explain it. It's you know it's something I think that's going to hang around there and stink stink the place up until Dan Quinn goes until but probably until quite a lot of that team have kind of passed on and and you know the new, new a lot of new blood is in dare I say probably after Matt Ryan's left uh, and that, I think that's what it's going to take until until kind of this uh, blowing leads uh, thing dissipates into into the distance yeah you, you said there about Alan Robertson's touchdown you, you called it a Houdini I think that that in itself is the problem it, it's the defensive mm. side of the ball for the Falcons the tackling is almost non-existent now the offense isn't the problem here you know Matt Ryan no. is putting up stellar numbers as he has done year after year um you know Calvin Ridley has certainly emerged even if Julio is on the back nine of his career Calvin Ridley has certainly stepped forward um, you know, it just seems that they have this, you know, un- unbelievable knack of throwing things away. I'm just referring to mm. our season guide here and just looking. They were 12 to five to make the playoffs at the start of the season, 10 to one in the South, which is a big price. But obviously, you can understand that with the division that they're in. But just out of interest, just reading the view from the sidelines from the lads over at the Atlanta Falcons UK, and you know, in a nutshell, they were predicting playoffs. And you know, I know everyone is full of optimism at the start of the season, but this is a team that. You know, like you said, the weapons that they've got, they should be there or thereabouts. Lawrence, you wanted to to have a word on the Falcons? Yeah, just a just a tiddler. Um, the Falcons' first round selection, AJ Terrell, the cornerback. Now he hasn't had much of a chance to establish himself, but he he was diagnosed with with COVID um, just prior to the game, and you know he's going to be out at least you know two three weeks. You'd imagine. For, for the NFL protocols and, and for the sake of his kind of family and, and teammates. So, again, another big blow. So, you know, you, you just can't buy a break if you're a, um, if you're a Falcons fan at the moment. And the thing is, like you say, the, the, the defense can't put it together. They've got they've got good players on that defense. Yeah, you know, you've had Keanu Neal, Grady Jarrett, Tap McKinley, just to name name a couple. They've, it's not as if they've got a Dallas Cowboys name <laughs> defense. Uh, they've actually got some decent players on there. It's, it's just it's just strange how they get 16, 19 points up and just say, okay, we're we're done now. Feet up and see what. See, yeah, it's kind of like Madden, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Doesn't get any easier for them next week either. They are at the Packers, um, you know, so it could well easily be an 0-4 hole to start the season. We'll see how they bounce back in week number four. Let's have a look at some others that potentially are in a little bit of a pickle. And, and to be fair, the list could go on for quite a while here, Villas, but I'll just whisk through a few. Matt Patricia's a name that's obviously been talked about in terms of needing um, you know, some good performances. He'll obviously be relieved that the Lions got their first win of the season. Probably a bit of a coupon buster and a pick and buster for a number of people. I think a few people were getting on that Arizona hype train a little bit too early and it was a bit of a back down to earth game for them. Uh, despite another good showing from DeAndre Hopkins with another 10 catches, uh, the Lions... Take care of business, their first win in 12. So that probably keeps the walls from Matt Patricia's door for the time being. 
Anthony Lynn at the Chargers, a name not getting talked about too much, but he's another one that had the Chargers in playoff contention a couple of years ago, and it's been a steady decline since then. Um, again, uh, another disappointing defeat there to um, the Carolina Panthers. So congratulations to Matt Rule. He gets his first win as a head coach. So pressure will start to build on Anthony Lynn. I don't think he's handled the quarterback situation with, um, you know, much credit there, to be honest, as he, let's be honest, you know, Justin Herbert came in, made some rookie mistakes, as you would expect, but certainly provided a spark and all the talk in the week was that he should have been doing this, that and the other, which I thought was a little bit out of order, um, you know, but we'll wait and see what happens there with Anthony Lynn. The other two that I've mentioned were involved in the same game and that's Zach Taylor of the Bengals. And I've actually written down Doug Pedersen here, guys, which is probably a name that's going to surprise a number of people that I would consider him to be somebody under the microscope. But another one that post-Super Bowl, um, let's face it, the Eagles have disappointed. I know you two guys will get great pleasure from this as fans of NFC East teams. Um, but I actually saw something tweeted out today, and it made me go back and think. And the tweet basically read, He's one of the most overrated head coaches of all time. It's clear that all of the brains of the operation were Frank Reich. It's gone backwards ever since he left. What are your views on that, boys? Well, the one thing I will say is, I, I mean, I haven't really seen much hate for, or, or any criticism heading Doug Pedersen's way. It was a bit interesting, some of the decisions they made in overtime. But um, I think because he's won them the Super Bowl, he'll he'll basically get key to key to the key to the city until he kind of wants to leave. And quite a lot of criticism is going uh, Carson Wentz's way, um, probably because he obviously didn't win them that Super Bowl. Obviously, he had a fabulous regular season to get them to the playoffs, and then Nick Foles did the rest. But it's, I, I think at the moment, a lot of people are, are quicker to to ridicule Carson Wentz over over Doug Pedersen. So from from that perspective, I I thought it was a bit surprising. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pedersen. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point. Um, Frank Reich, obviously. Yeah, it, I haven't looked at it in too closely, but yeah, certainly they've not done they've not done too much since um, that Super Bowl win. It's just been quite lucky that the NFC East is one of the worst divisions in football. That yeah, we have to send someone to the playoffs, uh, and then once you're in the playoffs, anything anything can happen. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, I don't know what you think, Lawrence. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a funny one. I, I know from watching some of the sort of pre-game stuff, there was a lot of talk about Carson's Wentz, Carson Wentz's kind of throwing motion that they've actually got to do some work to try and kind of change it and adjust it. And he seems to be having a bit of a a, a quirky time actually throwing the ball. And that's you know he's he's leading the the NFL along with the the delightful our best friend Kirk Cousins with with six interceptions so it's you know it's pretty discouraging what's happening and and when you when you've got a a division where one win after three games puts you joint top of a division then you know things are pretty scary if you're if you're not even competing by then so yeah I think Frank Reich is you know deserves the credit that he's getting and he's I I think he's going to steer um, Indy towards the playoffs this season, um, sort of straight away. So yeah, I, I don't think Doug Peterson's going to be losing his job um, in in any kind of hurry this season. Um, I think the Eagles' wide receiving core is one of the worst in the entire league. So Carson Wentz hasn't got a lot to throw to, and I think Dallas Goddard got injured 
on Sunday as well. So he was left with kind of just about Miles Sanders and Zach Hurts were about the only things that he was left to be able to throw to. So, you know, a bit of sympathy goes out there, but, but only a thimble full. One, one thing I will say is, you know, you know we have, we, we've had conversations in the, in the past where you've got mediocre teams getting mediocre records, eight and eights, nine and sevens for, for seasons and seasons. You always, and you always ask the question, do they just need a really bad season to reset and go again? And just have one bad season, get one, one really good player and turn that franchise around. That, that could be what the, the Eagles have this season, quite, quite possibly. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one to, to keep an eye on, as you said, with the, the current records in the NFC East. They're certainly not out of it by any stretch of the imagination, but obviously they'll be looking to to pick things up moving forward. Obviously, that game that we talked to there, and I mentioned Zach Taylor, he was on the opposite sideline, obviously in his second season there as Bengals head coach there still to get a W on the board this year. Obviously, he ended up with just a 2-14 and record in his first season. Obviously, the game ended in a 23-all tie. The Eagles set up to at least attempt a 50, 58 or 59-yard field goal and then jumped off sides or a full start to push it back to a 64-yarder. And despite there only being, what, 13 seconds left on the clock, um, they, they still didn't even attempt the field goal, which was just bizarre. You think if they attempt that play, it's going to take four to five seconds off the clock regardless. You know, it's going to basically give the Bengals the ball, you know, 60 yards out. They're going to have time for one play. I think the Bengals are out of timeout. So, you know, you might get a quick hitter to the sideline. And the Bengals would have only ended up with a 65, 70-yard field goal attempt themselves or it was a Hail Mary. I just didn't understand why it wasn't even worth a crack um, to see if, you know, a miracle could have happened. Um, but there you go. Um, we will never, ever know. And of course, that's cocked everybody's pickums up for the year, boys, because as we know, you can't select a tie. So never mind. No one going perfect this week. Talking of perfect, let's move on to some better performances then, fellas. And let's talk about some quarterbacks that are lighting up the scoreboard in the right way. And let's start, Lawrence, with Aaron Rodgers. Um, so much talk in the offseason about what Green Bay were doing or weren't doing, as the case may be, in terms of providing him some help. It seems to me that Aaron Rodgers has just took two fingers up to everybody and said, I'll do this all on my own, don't you worry about it. Another stellar performance with, a let's face it, a cast of nobodies he's really playing with and he's, he's turning them into somebodies, isn't he? Another huge win for the Packers on Sunday Night Football. I I think the abiding memory from that, that Sunday night game is the, the kind of... the the twinkle in Aaron Rodgers' eyes and the smiles. Because when you're, you might be playing, your statistics might be okay, you might be getting the wins, but if you're not enjoying it, then, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to motivate yourself. But when you're actually winning and enjoying the games, you can see that quarterbacks play a bit more loosely. And I think that's what Aaron Rodgers was doing against the Saints. He played loose. And you could just see him smiling towards the, you know, in the fourth quarter. He didn't have that kind of steely face. He had a, he had a kind of happy face, and it was, it was really great to see that. So, I mean, you got to think this is a, this is a Packers team that were only one game away from the Super Bowl um, until Raheem Mostert just kind of looked like a Madden cheat code and ran for over 220 yards in that NFC Championship game. The Packers are a good team, but. No one was really talking about them for the 2020 season. I don't think anyone had them really as, you know, Super Bowl competitors or anything anything special. And I did a ton of ESPN fantasy football drafts. And 
Aaron Rodgers was getting picked late in loads of these drafts. No one was really giving him any respects in, in any quarters. So now in his 16th season, I think he's just, just relaxing into things now. Nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, a 3-0 start. And doing that despite missing your number one receiver, despite Devontae Adams not even playing um, week three. It's, it's really testament to you know, what Aaron Rodgers can be and what he has been and, and has potentially lost to many people. But I think he's got back now, which is great. I mean, you look at what happened to Drew Brees without Michael Thomas for the first, you know, those, those couple of weeks. He's looked pretty lost. I mean, you've got to look at, I mean, I know Rodgers isn't as accurate as Brees is historically, but Rodgers is completing 67% of his passes which is the highest he's been doing since since back in 2012, and we we if we look at his last 42 games, he's thrown 19 interceptions and 116 touchdowns, and he's won 16 out of his last 19 games. I mean, you you look at it. Even if Drew Brees did somehow manage to get a miracle comeback and tied it up at 37 apiece. Rodgers probably would have just taken the, the first possession in overtime straight down the field for a touchdown. It was kind of that sort of game. I mean, Drew Brees, to his credit, in the game, bounced back from a really sort of patchy week two. He completed 80% of his passes, almost 300 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, again, without Michael Thomas. And, and the Saints are going to be licking their chops because they've got a really soft schedule coming up the Lions, the Chargers and the Panthers in the next three weeks. But it was, this was the Aaron Rodgers show. It really was. In front of a, um, in front of a huge crowd of 748 fans. Um, and, and I know you talk about, Sean, about the, the kind of lack of quality in terms of kind of the supporting cast for Aaron Rodgers. But I've got, a, I've got quite a big soft spot for Alan Lazard. Uh, and I have done since last season. He, he had two monster deep ball catches, 146 yards plus a, a five-yard score, which I think he deserved um, after catch, you know, those, those two big passes. And they, those, those two completions kind of ripped out the heart of the Saints' defense. And, and one other little thing to note, with, with Devontae Adams out, Rodgers really, really peppered the tight ends um, week three. Nine catches for the tight ends. Robert Tonyan catches a touchdown and even... 36-year-old Mercedes Lewis caught his 35th touchdown of his career in 205 games and only his second as a Packer. I've got one little question here just about Mercedes Lewis. Did he push off for that touchdown? Uh, yes, I think he did, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I don't think there's any question that he pushed off. Um, but uh, Mercedes Lewis becomes the second touchdown pass that Aaron Rodgers has thrown to first-round picks in his career. The first one, Mercedes Lewis. There you go. The only first-round selection that Aaron Rodgers has ever thrown touchdown passes to, which is a phenomenal stat in itself. When I, when I said a, a bunch of, of no names, I've been, you know, no disrespect by that. I just, you know, referring to the fact they certainly aren't household names. Alan Lazard, as you say, has stepped up and has played some nice uh, football to start the year. He does. It, it looks to me, though, when he does catch one of these deep balls, it's almost like he's got a big rucksack on his back and he just can't quite get the pace up to get to the end zone. There were two of them yesterday. You thought he's surely got a touchdown here and he was pulled in just shy. 
of the goal line. Just to touch on what you said about the disrespect for Aaron Rodgers, I actually picked him up in a number of fancy teams. And uh, I'm just looking, his average draft position was uh, the 10th selection of the 8th round, which is ridiculous. If you think Aaron Rodgers a few years ago, he would have been you know, certainly one of the first couple of quarterbacks off the board. And that was obviously more um, you know, in the rush game these days. But even with that said, Rodgers has always been good for a scramble here and there, hasn't he? So massive disrespect. But like I say, he's sticking his fingers up to everybody, isn't he? Um, Tim, let's come to you then, mate, for the guy that uh, leads the way so far in terms of the very early MVP race. It almost seems silly to be talking MVP, I suppose, after a couple of weeks, but uh, that's the that's the way that these things go. And certainly, Russell Wilson did himself uh, no harm whatsoever yesterday with another uh, absolutely stellar performance. Um, talk us through it, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I put out an MVP article at the week last weekend, and I said that Russell Wilson, obviously, the, is the kind of the clubhouse leader after after two weeks, and uh, if anything, even after two, you know, the game that hasn't even been played yet between Lamar and Mahomes, the previous two MVPs, I, I, he just he's just going to extend that lead, uh, barring anything miraculous on uh, Monday Night Football. But I, think, I mean, this was a really good game, um, and I'm not saying that because I'm a Dallas fan and I watched it, but. Yeah, it was two two good offenses with trading blows, two good quarterbacks. I don't care what Adam says about Dak, but um, I, th- I think the main difference between the two teams in this one, though, was kind of uh, you could see what team has had the continuity over the last ten, uh, however many seasons they they've been together. Um, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, uh, and obviously a team that's got a new. Um, a new head coach and a new kind of new way of doing things and a few different uh, players and, and picks or whatever. But um, yeah, Wilson, Wilson uh, again, MVP caliber uh, performance in, in week three. Um, his lowest QB rating so far for week three is 130. And that was in this game. Um, he's way up on his average pass completion percentage. is currently 60, uh, 76 and a, and a half. Um, you know, 13.6% of his, his throws are touchdowns. Um, but the thing, the thing that's exciting about Russell Wilson is is when Seattle let him go and make a play, or as I as I hate the cliche, let him cook. Um, you know he can turn a sack like Rogers. He can turn a sack into a into a long bomb touchdown, um, which is you know is what you get from your elite elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, he said they've not really let him do that much over the years that, that he's been there. Um, but, you know, the Dallas, the Dallas secondary made it very, very easy for him, uh, Tyler Lockett. I, I mean, I don't know how much more open you can get than Tyler Lockett. I'd love to know the, uh, the minimum amount of space between him and, and, the next, and the nearest defender on any of his touchdown passes that he caught. Um, yeah, secondary not good for, for Dallas. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing, the thing that made this game exciting was despite Dallas being down 15 points early in the third after a fumble and turned turn that into a, into a touchdown to Jacob Hollister, it doesn't matter how many points Dallas are down, they have, they have a, a decent offense and an offense um, captained by, by Dak Prescott who can get out, pretty looks like it, they can get out of any hole. Uh, like I say, 15 points in, in the third quarter in this one and it didn't take much for them to get back into the game and, and take the lead. Uh, with, with a field goal, uh, but an interesting stat I found, uh, and it's kind of a, an extension of one that I'll get I'll get onto later. But Dallas have only had seven snaps whilst they've been in the leads uh, this season so far, so they just keep shooting themselves in the foot early on. Um, you know, you, you think of in in this game, um, you know, Tony Pollard's. I don't know what he was doing. I've, I've watched it a couple of times. Uh, so the only thing I can think that he was doing, he was he went back into the end zone to then try and touch the ball, almost as if he thought it was the same rule applied for uh, 
for like when you touch out of bounds and you touch the ball at the same time as if it's uh, it becomes a penalty. But um, yeah, a, a muffed punt, a muffed kickoff, and ended up at the one, which was then doubly compounded by Zig Kelly at terms tripping over his own feet into in for a safety. Um, yeah, you know, when when you get yourself down like you have done against the Rams and you have done against the the Falcons, then you're not going to win many games. And you know, you look at how miraculous last week was against the Falcons. It's kind of that's more because of Fal- the Falcons rather than than Dallas on on, on second glance. Um, you know, they'll keep coming back. They'll they'll never be out of games even in, in fourth quarters, which is always a good a good sign of a team. I just think they need. A couple more weeks. Uh, again, they've got the, the luxury of being in a, in a poor division. I think come come towards the end of the year and in, in come into January, I think they'll be uh, they'll be quite uh, quite feared, um, even if they are the road team. Um, you look at you look at Dallas's record in one score games already already one one and two this season uh, and last year they were one and six so it's something that they've never really had the nous of they've never been really game savvy Dallas um, and I think if they had if they had just a bit more nous about them like a Pete Carroll or Jakob Bill Belichick they would be they would be um, up there as a, as a juggernaut uh, over the, ever since I've started watching them um, yeah it was a great game a couple of shout outs I actually want to make um, a big. Big shout out to Alden Smith. Uh, obviously, a lot of um, wondering on, on what he would be like after a couple of years out of the game. Obviously, we've spoken about him previously. He's currently the sack leader through four, three, three weeks uh, with, with four. Uh, had a couple in this one. I think he had three, actually, in this one. Uh, also, another highlight that's worth watching. Uh, shout out to Trevon Diggs, who uh, never gave up on a play and uh, saved saved what would be a, a walk-in touchdown for DK Metcalf on a, on a long pass from Russell Wilson, but punched the ball out from uh, DK Metcalf out the end zone for a touchback. So that was, um, that was, that was a decent highlight. Um, and then just also a shout out to Pete Carroll, who, who has uh, undeniably for me, the most punchable face in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, you wanted to add something, mate? Yeah, that when, when DK Metcalf was just kind of, coasting from the five yard line and just kind of thinking he's going to stroll it in it was reminiscent of the the great Don Beebe when Leon Lett for the Cowboys returns this fumble he's he's plowing all the way up the field and Leon Lett's kind of running out of breath and Don Beebe just never gives up on the play comes in and punches the ball out of out of Leon Lett's big mitts so I always I always love a um kind of intervention just before someone thinks they've they've automatically scored just you know never think you've already scored celebrate once you've crossed the plane of the goal that's the key yeah no absolutely you are never in the end zone until like you said you've broken that plane tim you did miraculously there i might ask you to tell me how good russell wilson was and you spent five minutes talking to me about dallas's excuses for not winning the <laughs> game mate you did a wonderful job there oh, come on, I've, got a whole, I've got a whole paragraph of notes here on russell wilson that i went through it's not my fault it's not my fault you didn't listen <laughs> one, paragraph, one paragraph on russ and six on the cowboys we will let you off my friend russell wilson will continue to wear us week in and week out so i'm sure we'll talk about Let's him again brand. Uh, hey, uh, another guy that he's continually uh, impressing so far this season is Josh Allen. Uh, it doesn't always work out for Sky that they get one of the better games in the window. They obviously get the pick of the slate, and last week's was a bit of a dud, wasn't it, in terms of the Vikings and the Colts? But this week, boy, did they strike gold with the game that they had, the Bills and the Rams. Bills got up early in this one, 28-3. The Rams come all the way back and actually take the lead. But Josh Allen goes out there and pulls together another game-winning drive. Uh, I'm, I might be preempting somebody's stats here, so I'll keep it brief. 
He's very good at game-winning drives, Josh Allen. That's all I'm going to say since he's entered the league. Um, you know, phenomenal job. He found Tyler Croft with a few seconds remaining to give the Bills a big win. A very, very questionable pass interference call, it has to be said, leading up to that. Um, obviously, the Rams will, will feel completely stung by it. Obviously, it was, it was the infamous playoff game with the non-call that led to last year being able to challenge PI calls. And that obviously only had one season in the league and it's obviously been scrapped. There's bound to be calls for it to come back. We don't want it to get to the stage of, of what VAR is like in our version of football, where you know we're reviewing every single decision. But obviously, these really crucial ones. I mean, it was ticky tacky at best. Let's be completely honest. Um, but if you're the Rams, I think you've got to take responsibility for allowing Stefan Diggs to convert. Sorry, not Stefan Diggs. Cole Beasley to convert a third and twenty-two. Um, that was the play that could have ended the game there and then. But to be fair, Josh Allen stepped up, right? delivered a dart. And like I say, with a, it seemingly seemed around six, seven Rams defenders in and around him. Cole Beasley still managed somehow to to squirm his way for first down yardage. So massive, massive result yet again for the Bills. Josh Allen, four further touchdowns through the air. Only one on the ground. If I'd have said to you before, fellas, that Josh Allen's stat line would have only included four rushes for eight yards. I don't think anybody would have quite believed it. But the addition of, of Stefan Diggs, it certainly turned this into more of a passing offence than I think any of us gave it credit for at the start of the season. And if he continues at the rate that he is, he's certainly going to be up there for consideration come the end of the season. But more importantly, you know, for the Bills' perspective, they'll obviously be focused on trying to get a, you know, a divisional win and, and snatch that division away from the Patriots. Um, I think that's going to be one of the divisions that is nip and tuck all the way to the end. And the games between those two teams are going to be fascinating uh, as they could obviously be all important when it comes to breaking tiebreakers and that type of thing come season end. Right then, fellas, let's move on to some winners and losers from week three. We've gone through a number of games there. Um, so let's let's start us off and I'll go first boys I'm going to go and we'll cover one of the games that we haven't talked about much and I'm going to talk about the the full 10 yards derby if you like the Browns against the Washington football team and I've got two winners from that game I've got Kevin Stefanski as the first Browns head coach to actually get the team to above 500 at any point in a season since 2014 Allow me to bask in a bit of glory, fellas. It's been six years since we've actually won more games than we've lost. So even if it is only three weeks, I am absolutely going to bask in that for the next seven days at least until we probably do get back to 500. Um, so congratulations to Stefanski. Um, he just looks a head coach. I don't know what you guys think as outsiders looking in. I think last year when Freddie Kitchens came in, there was obviously a lot of optimism and his relationship with Baker Mayfield was obviously the thing that most people thought got him the job. But every single press conference that he did, he just looked out of his depth. He looked flustered on game days. Kevin Stefanski just looks like he's been doing this role forever, if I'm being completely honest. He's obviously had a great apprenticeship and he's been an assistant and worked with the Vikings for a number of years, but he, he just does look every bit the NFL head coach, doesn't he, boys? The problem is, though, with the, the, the Browns, the, the bar was set so low, even the, the, like the world, the Olympic limbo champion would struggle to get under it. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Look, even we didn't interview Jason Garrett, so the bar wasn't that low. <laughs> Touche. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not getting too excited. Don't forget, you played Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> you can only beat what's in front of you, fellas. Like I said, let well, me ask you. Well, Dwayne, stop, Dwayne stop Haskins trying. can 
and beat himself three interceptions wasn't wasn't pretty whatsoever. I'm I'm still waiting for Kyle Allen to make his debut, and it, it can't be far away now. They, they, there's a point where you've got to lose a bit of faith in Dwayne Haskins, and I think he he proved that that he is not fundamentally a sound starting NFL quarterback. Yeah, um, he was one thing I, I I don't know if you've kind of um, want to talk about this, Sean, but my favourite play from that game was actually a Browns play, and it was somebody who didn't even touch the ball, and that was your your centre Eric McCoy, who ran out for a ginormous lead block. I think it was a Kareem Hunt run in the second half, and he ran about thirty yards ahead of the field. Was that right? Or am I imagining that? I have no I idea. I think you're getting, you're getting mixed up with Sunday Night Football. Wasn't Eric McCoy the, the Saints centre who uh, did the oh, block was it for the Kamara? Saints one? Sorry, the, on, <laughs> on Alvin Kamara. Getting totally I wasn't even watching the right game, Sean. <laughs> oh, dearie me. It's all, it's all a blur. It's all a blur. That's, that's what I was just going to say. I'm, getting, yeah, that was I'm getting confused with my centres. The, game, the, game, the, Washington, the Washington highlights were that good. You, you, yeah. <laughs> you got confused with the game, got the wrong team and got the wrong player. Yeah, there was one one interesting stat from that game. It was the first time, I think, since the 1950s that two teams faced each other without a logo on their helmet. Yep. Something ridiculous, yep. yeah? Yeah, no, absolutely, mate, absolutely. It was, and it was a game with a number of firsts, and that brings me on to my second winner of the week, and that, fellas, is, is humanity itself, and, and a massive big up to all of the females that are involved with the game at whatever level, um, but obviously the first game to have female coaching assistants and a female referee as part of the um, the crew. So massive, massive, massive bit of history there. Uh, long overdue, let's be honest. There's there's plenty of, um, of 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 people that are in that position um, that that you know could do that, and they just need an opportunity. And you know, massive props to to Ron Rivera. I thought his press conference was was excellent. Uh, when he talked about Jennifer King and everything that she brings to the Washington side of things, obviously for the the Browns it's Callie Bronson, the the chief of staff, um, to Kevin Stefanski, and obviously Sarah Thomas, who has been an official now um, for a few years, and obviously made headlines when she first took that role up. But obviously that was the first game ever to have three uh, involved. So yeah, really really good news story. I'm full of positivity, boys. I've got no losers this week. I'm going to throw it over to you, boys. So uh, Lawrence. Who have you got as winners and losers for week three? My winners, despite the kind of bizarrest three weeks, is is the Chicago Bears. 3-0. and I mean, we know that the world's been completely turned upside down because of COVID and everything that's going on. But nobody would have had the Bears at 3-0. and And this is the first time they've been 3-0 and for the past eight seasons. Nick Foles, as we've kind of spoken about earlier, he came on um, from the bench. His stat line wasn't exactly pretty, 16 of 29 and a pick, but he managed three touchdowns, including that game winner to Anthony Miller. Um, and the, the Bears are kind of just looking interesting. I did have a little check, though, on the Atlanta Falcons website because they've just released some new merchandise. They're actually selling ginormous big black <laughs> candles. Do you know why? Two In reasons. Light. In light. One, one, 
you can light a prayer for a win and two you can then see it melt away dearly me dearly dearly me these, these puns need some work fellas they really do we've been we've been at this now for over a season they really do need some work i thought that was going to be a, a face mask a face mask joke about choking or something it could have gone down that direction as well just interesting that nick Foles, prior to this win actually had a, an abysmal 2019 season it was it was zero and four in 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 his time with the jaguars and in his last 14 games he's actually seven and seven in the regular season we know his postseason heroics but his regular season form is is pretty average um but he was announced earlier today as the official starter in week four and that he's going to be going up against quite a spicy colts team so did anyone want a sandwich bet on um on mitch trubisky coming back starting another week do you think does anyone think that nick Foles starts the rest of the games or do, i'm quite i think um i was watching nick Foles. some of those some of those i'll tell you what when he throws the ball he did not um, throw the dice and roll the dice I think Trubisky will be back in at some point. I, I think that all depends on on the Bears' record. If I'm honest, I'm I'm quite happy to take that bet with you because I think you know the Bears have got absolutely zero investment in Trubisky moving forward. Um, you know, and I think you know they've obviously got files under contract now. They're, they've obviously invested a lot of of finance into him. You know, if they can get the team up and and around him, and then I think they will roll with him. I mean, I, I'm not having him, Lawrence. I'm sorry. I know they may well be sitting at 3-0 and but they're a DeAndre Swift drop away from falling to 0-1 they then beat a Giants team you know scrape past a Giants team that had a chance to win it at the death and some questionable play calling and clock management you know the Giants could have had two or three attempts at the end zone they end up with one sort of attempt you know you could easily be looking at a side that are 0-3 the record is what it is can't take that away from them and you know certainly You'd rather be where they're sitting than where a number of franchises are sitting, but it, it has got to be one of the most unimpressive three and out starts to a season oh, if there ever was I'm, an unimpressive I'm, three and I'm, I'm kind of giving the Bears fan a bit of love now because it's 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 possible they could go three and thirteen. I don't think we're going to be talking about the the Bears in December, so let's let's just give them let's give them their you know Andy Warhol fifteen minutes of fame right now because I don't think we'll be talking about them a lot. As, as we go forward. Fair dues, mate. Who's your loser for the week then? If you're Bears, are you winner? Well, we're going to flip the script in terms of a, a zero and three team. And that's the Houston Texans. So it, if you looked at the schedule, if you're one of these purveyors of the schedule, you could have actually seen this coming because they, they did have, there's no, there's no arguably about it. They have had the toughest opening three-week schedule in the entire NFL, maybe for the past past decade even. Starting off facing the Super Bowl champions in, in front of the sort of the, the entire planet to kick off the season. Then they face the, the Ravens and then they go and play the Steelers, who's yeah, I'm 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 with you, Sean. I'm not entirely convinced by the by the Pittsburgh Steelers either, but they are playing some some you know, very, very tough defence. So to go and play all three of those teams in, in succession to start off a season is a really, really rough start. And, and two of those games being on the road. 
But if you if you just pick apart a little bit and look about what what's happening to Deshaun Watson, he's been sacked on twelve percent of his passes, highest of career. He's he's rushing game has been non-existent. He's averaging under seventeen yards a game, uh, four point one a clip in terms of his actual rushing average. He's it's the worst of his career, and anyone who says that he's not missing DeAndre Hopkins is is clearly either insane or or not a fan of the NFL. So my my loser at the moment is the Texans. I I do see them doing an Alan Partridge and and bouncing back. Um, let's just hope they're not you know travelling around in a in a travel tavern or or hanging around in petrol garages. Um, so I I can see them scraping a a wild card but it does not help anybody to start zero and three absolutely mate there's the score in that game that you alluded to there 28 21 to the pittsburgh steelers like you say the steelers defense swarming in the second half actually had houston kept off the board completely in the second half seems a long time ago that we were actually talking about the fact that david johnson might be returning to the old david johnson his final stat line in this one 13 carries for 23 yards i suppose you could argue it was better than saquon's effort of 15 for six yards against the same steelers defense but uh, that's obviously a formidable defensive front to try and run on um obviously i'm looking forward to the browns getting their crack at them in week number six and we can see what uh, hunt and chubb can do uh, Tim, let's come to you, boy, for your winners and losers of week three. Yep, I keep mine quite um, quite short because obviously we've spoken about him a little bit. Um, my winner was Matt Patricia. Obviously, I had a hard time of it, um, but snapping a, a double-digit uh, losing streak is always something to be celebrated. So hopefully, his uh, Monday morning has been uh, it's been it's been enjoyable for the first time in probably uh, probably probably a year actually to be quite honest because I think they started uh, 3-0-1 or something last couple of games, last season didn't they um, yeah uh, obviously had a lot of pressure coming on, on him so that's uh, eased off a little bit I thought the, the Detroit Lions played really well obviously you've got Stafford back Kenny Golladay obviously returned for this one as well and uh, the team the team played really well obviously defence um, yeah they've They've not got stars. They've got rid of Darius Slay, but I thought they swarmed and, and played Kyler Murray and the Cardinals very well, uh, and obviously come away with a with a victory, um, which is always hard to do away in the NFL. Uh, loser, we again spoke about him, Mitch Trubisky being benched when your team are two and zero for Nick Foles. Um, he's is never going to be a, a good sign, is it? So, um, Mitch Trubisky clearly the loser from week three. Yeah, can't argue with either of those, mate. Um, let's go through the games that we haven't mentioned through any of our conversations so far then and just make sure everyone has got their scoreboards ticked uh, to end week number three. We go all the way back to last Thursday. Dolphins' big opening win of the season for them, 31-13 against the Jags. Don't think many people saw that coming, but fits magic. Got himself going. Uh, he even threw a pass to himself at one stage. That shows how good he was on uh, Thursday night football. 31-13 to the Dolphins. The 49ers reserves beat the New York Giants 36-9. to Boy, oh boy, we talked about how bad the Jets were. They have some competition for worst team in New York, don't they, fellas? Um, I didn't put them in there when I talked about the sack race because I usually give first-year head coaches a bit of a free pass. But by all accounts, not looking rosy in the garden, is it there with Joe Judge? Um Obviously, I've lost Saquon for the year. Daniel Jones, he was probably a breath of fresh air after after sort of years of seeing Eli sort of decline. Uh, I'm not sure he's the answer long term. You, you've got to think back. You know, Daniel Jones was a huge surprise at the, the sort of selection point that they had him in the draft. Um, so he's carrying that expectation over top 10 pick and he was probably overdrafted in that selection. Um, 
let's face it, it could well be that Trevor Lawrence is suiting up in New York. It's just a case of whether he's going to be in blue or green at the way things are looking at the moment. Um, we've talked Browns-Washington. We've done Eagles-Bengals. Patriots-Raiders, the next game that we haven't touched on. 36-20, to 20, um, so business as usual, you'd say, for the New England Patriots. Uh, the Raiders, after impressing in their opening uh, home win against the Saints, uh, back down to earth a little bit for them. Probably outcoached in this one, let's be honest. Rex Burkhead had himself three touchdowns on the day, uh, and the Patriots continue to to roll. Yeah, very nice. Uh, one of those touchdowns was very nice indeed. A jump from about five yards out, and he was carried and catapulted into the end zone. So, yeah, good day for Rex Burkhead. Uh, Tennessee Titans 31, Minnesota Vikings 30. Mike Vrabel said he had every faith in Stephen Guskowski. Boy, was he right to have every faith in Stephen Guskowski. You will read more about that in one of the takeaways from the boys this week. Six for six for field goals, though, for Guskowski. Um, and the Titans improved to 3-0. and The Vikings dropped to 0-3, but at least some signs of encouragement from the offence this week. Dalvin Cook had a, a nice game, um, but obviously another 0-3 hole for a team to try and climb out of. We mentioned it earlier, Chargers 16, Panthers 21, Colts 36, the Jets 7, Seahawks 38, Cowboys 31, Cardinals 23, the Lions 26. Again, we haven't mentioned much at all. The Broncos 10, the Buccaneers 28. I do genuinely really feel for the Denver Broncos. I think it was a season that was full of expectation and hope and optimism. And it was derailed pretty much before it got going. You add in the fact that Drew Locke went down. You lost Cortland Sutton. Bradley Chubb, I don't think, went this week, or he was certainly limited. Um, just everywhere you look, there are just injuries galore on that team. And it's a young team that needed time to build and grow together. And unfortunately, it's going to be a lost season, it would appear, in Denver. Um, you know, a big job for, for Vic Fangio to try and keep the guys together. Um, obviously, a very, very winnable game that they will be looking at on Thursday night football. And then to round it off, we talked about it, the Packers 37, the Saints 30. Um, so there is all your week three scores in terms of the Pickham contest for us. As I said, obviously a tie helps. No one is going to go perfect on the week. Uh, so no one's still yet to win a weekly T-shirt. Um, however, David too still leads the way uh, by a couple of points. I believe Mr. Retro forgot to enter his picks into the actual competition this week. Either that or you've got none right so far, Lawrence, one or the other. I sent them over to you, Sean. You sent them to me, but I'm not putting them in the internet for you, my friend. You've got to submit them yourself into ESPN, oh, my friend. Dear. We, we will add your scores on, my friend. I add your picks you. as part of the article, so we Thank will you. add them on. Thank you. I did have a giggle when I saw you on zero points for the week. <laughs> Great. Right, boys, it's normally at this time that I ask you, what are you looking forward to in the next week of NFL action? But I think because we've got such a huge Monday night football game, it would be... It would be poor of us not to to give it a bit of uh, bit of love and a bit of credit that it obviously deserves. It's potentially the game of the regular season. I say potentially because we're only sitting here in week three, obviously. Uh, and as we know, once December rolls around and the games have even more importance, then there'll obviously be some others that hit the slate that have got you know even more juiciness attached to them. But in terms of this one, we've obviously got Jackson against Mahomes, the Ravens against the Chiefs. Lawrence, what are you looking forward to, mate? And who do you think comes out on top and why? I simply can't bet against the Ravens in this one. We we knew we knew that I was going to say that, but there's a bit of evidence backing that up. Um, Mahomes and the Chiefs, they, they've looked pretty good, but not spectacular. 
Whereas the Ravens, they've allowed 22 points in two games, ran for 341 yards. And, and let's, just, let's just take three seconds to just, just remember this little fact. Lamar Jackson is still only 23 years old. It's his third NFL season. He is only 23. And he won't be 24 until next year. Um, That's Chiefs, generally how birthdays work. He might, have been, <laughs> he might have been 24 in any month up until the end of the year, Tim. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just to let you know. Um, the Chiefs, who are one of these teams that, that like to roll the dice, they like to go for it on things like fourth down. They probably best not to do that against the Ravens. There's been four attempts on, for fourth down conversions so far against the Ravens, and they've held firm on all four so far. The, the Chiefs had a, a very sloppy game against the Chargers last week. 11 penalties. That's something they've got to correct if, they, if they're going to hang in for this game. They, they can't afford to commit that amount of penalties again. Lamar Jackson, a couple of little, little nuggets here. He is top in the NFL in terms of yards per attempt at 9.8. And he's second in completion percentage at 77.6%. Bizarrely, behind Philip Rivers, who's actually at 78.3%. I did not realise Philip Rivers was that accurate. I don't think he's ever been that accurate his entire career. So, you know, well done, Philip Rivers. Both quarterbacks, Mahomes and Jackson, are yet to throw a pick this season. Um, if I was to put a bet on it, and I can't be bothered to research how, you, how to do this one, but I can see both of them throwing one pick each. I can't actually wait to watch this game. I've, I've already loaded up on, on a couple of double espressos to make sure I'd stay awake, at least for the first half. Um, and, and let's be honest, it's early, very, very early to say how significant this game is. But we know now with the expanded playoff format and the single home field advantage that this game could be making major waves in terms of what happens in January. So it's it is it's an absolutely huge game in terms of bragging rights. No, it certainly is, and like you say, it takes an even more significance with only that number one seed getting the buy, and and obviously that's why you know we we do feel that it is extremely significant even this early in the season. Uh, Tim, I think looking at the Pickham selections, you're with Lawrence. You've got the Ravens down as winning this one. Have you changed your mind since last Thursday? And if not, why have you got the Ravens winning it? Um. Yeah, I've actually got written down here. I fancy the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> but there we go. Um, never mind. Um, yeah, obviously the, these two teams played week three last year. Kansas City took the spoils. Um, can't remember the score. I so like 28-33 or something. Um, I think it'll be a field goal game. Um, I said in the betting pod on Saturday to one of my best bets was uh, Kansas City plus three and a half because I think it'll be a field goal game. So um, give me me Patrick Mahomes like I said because they had a bad performance last week I think they, they'll be fired up for this one to, to kind of put that right um, so I, th- I think it's going to be a great great game I can see 80, 80 plus points in this one um, yeah I'll, I'll take the Chiefs Fair enough remember to change your selection in ESPN mate <laughs> um, I, I'd got the Chiefs down the, I'm actually probably swaying more towards Baltimore the more it gets towards game day but I think that, it's, that in itself sort of tells you where this matchup is I think you can make convincing arguments either way you've got two quarterbacks who you would absolutely trust you know if they were the custodians of your franchise you know in terms of being the signal callers 
Um, you know, it'll just be really, really interesting. I, I don't see the Chiefs having two disappointing offensive games back to back. Um, but then, you know, we also know that the weakness of the Chiefs is probably on the defensive side of things. And obviously, you could expect the Ravens to put up yards of offense as they've done against anybody, and they've done it in different formats. You know, that was the impressive thing last week against Houston. You know, they, they sort of used the aerial attack for the majority of the first half, changed the ground attack in the second half. They can beat you in, in many different ways. Um, you know, you've got the two best field goal kickers in the NFL going head to head in all, you know, in my opinion, at least in terms of Booker and and Tucker. Um, you know, if it is a field goal game, again, you would you would absolutely want either of those two kicking field goals for you. So whichever way you look, uh, the superstars on either side, it, you know, I don't think we're we're doing it any. Um, we're not overhyping it to say it could be a potential preview of the championship game. And that's all the way, you know, back here in week number three, they do seem head and shoulders in a different league above the rest. And, you know, if we go, you know, power rankings are one thing, you know, they just are there to generally create a bit of conversation and debate. But most power rankings that I've seen effectively have got these two in the top two or certainly in the top three. The next AFC team tends to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. And as me and Lawrence have said, there is a huge chasm, in my opinion, between the Chiefs, the Ravens, and then anybody else. If the Steelers are the third best team, there is a huge gap, in my opinion, between the third best and the second best team because these two are just miles better than anybody else, in my opinion. So, huge game for playoff implications, even this early in the season. I'm with you, Lawrence. I'm debating actually staying up to watch this one. Um, I never normally bother with Monday night football unless I've obviously got a vested interest in it. But even as a neutral, this may well be one to uh, make an exception for. Right, fellas, I've left the best till last. I want you to thrill me with some statistical information from week number three. Uh, I believe it's one all, isn't it, fellas, so far? Lawrence got a bit of a dodgy victory, it's got to be so, with a bit of a dodgy stat. But, you know, a win's a win. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, it's in the record books. No one thinks about it after the event. So let's break the tie then, fellas. Who's going to win week number three? I will come to Lawrence first. Give me your first stat of week number three. First one, Justin Jefferson, the Vikings rookie receiver, recorded 175 yards and a a score. And that ranks as the fifth best single game output in any NFL wide receiver's first three games of their career. And I'm going to double it up in the hope of, of currying some favour this time around. Top of this particular chart in terms of highest receiving output in their first three games of their career is Anquan Bolden with 217 yards back in 2007. And Bolden is actually, excuse my language, a double hard bastard because at one point he got hit so hard by Jet Safety Eric Smith, it took seven plates and 40 screws to stick his jaw back onto his skull. But do you know how much time he missed? One snap? Two weeks. That's <laughs> all he missed, genuinely. As a second-year player, he missed two weeks after having his jaw almost taken off of his skull. So there we go. Bit of respect there to Anquan Bolden. And number five in that chart, which I've just, I've, I've got to do it because it's the, the greatest name of the week for this week, even though it's a retro one, is former Steelers receiver, Louis Lips. 
<laughs> Louis Lips. He's, he's resorted to dirty tactics here, Tim. He's throwing out you know all kinds I mean? of stats. Like, he's throwing not... out all sorts of names. We need, I mean, to, we need, to, get, we need to make these reviewable. Go on, then. He's, he certainly hmm. uh, set the bar high this week to start us off. But go on, Tim. Wow me with one. Mm, okay, uh, where should we go with here? Okay, Chicago Bears are the first team in NFL history to win two games in a single season where they were training by at least 16 points entering the fourth quarter. So. It is It is incredible, isn't it? I mean, they're they just not a team you would even expect to be able to do that, are they? You know, let's be honest, you know, the way that they're built and it's just, it's been phenomenal two weeks back-to-back for the for the Bears. Um, well, to say back-to-back, obviously they had the, the, the game with the Giants in between, but yeah, like you yeah. say, week one against the Lions and obviously against the Falcons. Well, that's, the, that's the first time in NFL history that's happened. Wow. Excellent. Lawrence, round number two. I'm going to talk about a, a living legend, a Mr. Philip Michael Rivers who will be 39 in, in December. He moved past Dan Marino to become the fifth most prolific pass completer in NFL history with 4,980 completions. He needs just 20 to join the 5,000 club. And that club leader is current Saints quarterback Drew Brees. In fact, Brees needs just 60 completions to become the first ever NFL player to complete 7,000 passes. Excellent. Yeah, much uh, much respect for Philip Rivers. He's one of those polarising characters. You know, he probably will be one of those when it comes to Hall of Fame discussion that his stats will probably tell you he should be in. But obviously, his lack of um, postseason appearances and obviously victories, you know, will probably count against him. Be even more interesting to see if Drew Brees actually gets to complete another 60 passes in the Saints uniform, the way that things are going there. I suppose if Tyson Hill keeps coming in the game, though, and fumbling the ball, that's going to obviously help Drew Brees no end. Uh, Tim, let's come back to you, mate, for your second one. Uh, Okay, let's go with the Packers' 122 points scored as a franchise record over opening three games of any season. It's the sixth most all-time and the third highest since the 1970 uh, 1970 merger. Uh, Most recent ones to do it, uh, the 2013 Broncos with 127 and the Cardinals 2015 team with 126. Impressive stuff, mate. Impressive stuff. We talked about earlier how, how on fire Aaron Rodgers and that team have been. Um, and like you say, you know, averaging over 40 points a game, uh, <laughs> certainly getting business done over in Green Bay. Right, final chance then, boys, to impress me. Lawrence, what have you, what have you saved? Best or last? Hit me oh, with your third gosh, one. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is the killer. This is the killer. Here we go. This is only involving quarterbacks. So, in the season that follows, where you've got a MVP and a league MVP and a Super Bowl MVP have both been quarterbacks and then they've faced each other the following season. That's happened four times in the past. It's obviously happening tonight with Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes. But this this occurrence has happened four times before in the past 27 seasons. And bizarrely, every single time, the winner has been the Super Bowl MVP over the league MVP the next season. So just to whistle through them, we've had in 1993, Troy Aikman beat Steve Young. 2004, Tom Brady beat Peyton Manning. 2012, Eli Manning beat Aaron Rodgers. 
and then in 2017, Tom Brady beat Matt Ryan. And just for the little cherry on top, little retro stat here, in 1993, Michael Irving caught a 38-yard touchdown in the third quarter to take the lead for the Cowboys against the 49ers. And the man throwing that touchdown was Troy Aikman. And I just want to reference Troy Aikman, Tim, because I thought it'd be nice to talk about a Cowboys quarterback that actually is clutch. Ooh, he's really pulled out the dirty tactics now. Oh, he's gone for the insults as well. He's gone for the oh. insults. Well, we're going to have to start recording this podcast earlier. He's obviously got far too much time to research these stats during a Monday, Tim. We're going to have to set the recording time for like midday or something, just when he's waking up from his Sunday night football slumber. Mm-hmm. Go on there, mate. You, yeah, it's you, getting, I'll, it's I'll be personal. honest. I'll be honest, Tim. You're really up against the eight ball here, mate. The first one is still probably in the lead and obviously I do like the dirty tactics I like the fact that Lawrence is stooping this low just to try and get a W on the board so come on what, what have you got for me mate your last chance now the only thing I've got is uh, the New York Jets have not had one snap yet in 2020 with a lead the only team to not be able not be in a lead and have a snap I haven't researched anything all day, and I could have probably guessed that. So as impressive yeah. as that is, it's certainly not going to yeah. be winning any glory okay. this week. All right, and so then, uh, obviously, I mentioned earlier that Dallas have only got seven, had seven snaps. Do you want to guess the team in between with that have only had four snaps in, whilst holding the lead? Ooh, um, the Chicago Bears. I'll go with the Giants. No, J- Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, surprising, considering the record. Yeah, got. was a little bit. Yeah. 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 Mind you, in saying that, it was obviously a walk-off winner, wasn't it, I think, in week one. So, yeah, that maybe does explain it a little bit. So, Lawrence takes this week's stats. Well done, my friend. I like the dirty tactics. Tim, you're going to have to get down and dirty in the gutter with him next week, mate. Fight to the death. Um, obviously, week four coming up, boys. We've got another full 10 yards derby that we've mentioned. Cowboys against Browns, so I've obviously already got my sandwich in the bag from Lawrence after the Browns took care of the football team this week. Tim, give that sandwich. Are we, uh, are we going on that sandwich, my friend? Yeah, you can give me. You can give me that sandwich. Fair enough, Lawrence. As the neutral, did Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt run all over that Dallas defense, or did Dak and the boys get it done? I think a bit of bit of ball control. I, I I've actually got um, my respect for the Browns is growing. And my hatred for the Cowboys has, has not really changed. It's, it's, Can't get it's a, a level. It's a level at the top, and will remain <laughs> that as long as I can breathe. So, I think my heart wants the Browns to win, but I, my head says, unfortunately, the Cowboys. I think they 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 are too good to to be going one and three. So I have got a Cowboys win, albeit a tight one. I'll take Just a tight one. Us. I'll, I'll I'll take a tight game if we can if we could run them close then that will be a sign of progress after the uh, the last few years that we've had to endure as Browns fans. Uh, obviously, if anyone is staying up for Monday Night Football, enjoy yourselves. Should hopefully be a cracker. There are some other tasty looking games on the schedule for Week Three, including the Titans and the Steelers battle of two three and O teams. I'm expecting Sky will probably confirm that one as their early Sunday game tomorrow during the NFL Overtime Show with Hannah and the crew over on Sky. Um, and then in the late game, probably be the Patriots at the Chiefs. So I would imagine we will get on Sky. So again, another good matchup in the AFC. Plenty of other goodness on the schedule and plenty for us to look forward to. We'll obviously do that in plenty of written content coming your way over the next few days. 
if you prefer to get your takeaways from the week in written format as opposed to listening to our dulcet tones, check out the website tomorrow. The takeaways article will be out for you to have a read through some of our views of the week just gone by. And then obviously from the middle of the week onwards, we'll turn our attention towards the weekend, full preview of the action coming on Thursday, a bit more in-depth on Friday. Um, I think Stevie's doing a piece on the the Eagles as well and all their uh, strifes and troubles to start the year. Um, obviously across the, the other branches, check out all the good stuff from the boys in college and fantasy. Uh, fantasy, an absolute killer again um, for a number of teams in terms of the injuries and another waiver wire was very, very active. This week with all of the big name stars that went down. So make sure you're checking out all the content across everything for 10 yards. We'll get you right up to speed, ready for week four to roll around. Nearly at the quarter pole already, guys. It's flown by. Absolutely sad, flown by. It? it is sad. It is sad. But let's rejoice. We've still got another 14 weeks ahead of us. So plenty to look forward to. Let's get out of here then, boys, and say it's a goodbye from Lawrence. Can I just put an appeal out to the set designers of the Channel 5 Monday Night Football. Can they find a better seat for Maurice Jones-Drew? He looked incredibly uncomfortable for the entire game um, last week. He, he, looked like the, the, he looked like he was like the princess and the pea and he was sitting on a, on a whole bag of frozen peas. So give him a nicer chair for this week. So let's just look out, look out, look out about <laughs> Maurice Jones-Drew's seating position so there we go good luck to mjd cheers buddy tim yep nothing for me i'll see you I'll see you boys in a couple of days for the quiz you will indeed yeah i think lawrence you're up after tim's horrendous I'll performance last week yeah no i'm there man. i'm there too we have, we're, gonna, we're gonna have a free one. i'm gonna i'm gonna beat i'm gonna smash you all in the mouth i'm gonna oh. stoop low oh, get my re- get my retribution from uh, lawrence's uh, dirty tactics retribution Hey. I'll get some retro <laughs> Excuse me. Another poor pun. It's certainly time to get out of here, boys. Let's get out and say, as we usually do, the great words of Kevin Cable. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards. Or email the show, full10yards at gmail.com.